Hi, this is Jason. And this is Matt. And welcome to Wish You Were Here, a podcast for the curious traveler. Yes, welcome. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If you are back here, welcome back. We're happy to have you. Um, Jason, somebody, I heard somebody ask this question. I thought it was such a fun icebreaker that I, I was been saving it to ask you. Uh, hopefully the answer isn't too morbid, but what has been keeping you up at night this week? Well, my neighbors always keep me up because they're loud. <laughs> they are horrible people. And so are they, they all, like, are they like kids jump on the ceiling loud? Are they rock no, and roll parents? Like they what, are what adults jumping they? on the ceiling loud. No. So, okay. So I think there's actually this, I wonder if they're listeners to our podcast, cause this could get awkward. I never talk, I never speak to them, but they are below me. Just say I, you mean a different, oh, well, never mind. I was going <laughs> to try to give you an out. <laughs> I live in a triplex. So they're, they're the, the unit below me. Um, okay. And what I'll notice is, so I'll, I like to go to bed and sleep with a little bit of white noise. So it could just be something like, you know, rain, raindrops on the whatever, like, a, mm. you know, a waves crashing. Or I can put on like a little sitcom because like the, the old timey sitcoms with laugh tracks, like help lull me to sleep. Mm. So if I go in my bedroom and I hear noise from below, I will for sure play something because it also helps drown out their noise. But mm. what I suspect is that they hear it and then they up theirs. <laughs> I, I, swear, I don't know if this is in my head or if this it's is actually F-U. happening. But it, so that makes me want to go up more. But I can't really because I don't own a TV. I just have an iPhone. So the volume already sucks. But so like they can always win that game. So it's not it's not a pleasant experience. So well, and what's uh, the threshold where your volume gets so loud that it's no longer like soothing and well, <laughs> no see, longer that, helps you get that's to sleep? The thing. I'm like, look, it's late at night, people. Go ahead and go ahead and blast your TV for it to just like be like to be vengeful. Sure. This is surely making you miserable, though, right? Sure. So I don't know. Maybe it's in my head. It's probably in my head. But anyway, maybe if they, they turn it up loud enough, you can use their volume to lull you to sleep. Make maybe it'll, it'll be loud enough through the floor. I guess then it depends on do you like what they're watching. Uh, okay, what is keeping you up at night? Um, uh, well, nothing has been keeping me up at night, which is a kind of a (laughs) trick answer because like you like to listen to white noise, rain sounds. I like that too, but my wife and I also listen to audiobooks as we fall asleep. Mm. And sometimes it's like, you know, we'll just pick a, a book that we don't know very well, just so it's like background noise. We like sleep stories a lot. But one of the other things we've been doing is re listening to the Harry Potter audiobooks, which I love and they are incredibly well done the narrator jim dale he won mm-hmm. like many many awards mm-hmm. because for anybody who's read harry potter they know this there are there are so so many characters and mm-hmm. he one guy plays all of them in unique what? ways it's mon it's it's a monster task and he he i mean there should be oscars like he should win an oscar for this performance but there probably are you know how award shows give out awards that we never see because they're boring yeah. they're like the technical awards i i bet there are awards for people who do these sorts of readings right Oh, I am sure now that you say it. Yeah. Like, I bet he's been nominated or won a Grammy for book on Uh, tape. I bet that's a thing. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's a thing. And yeah, then there's it, probably yeah. like there's probably like the independent film versions, uh, film awards version of audiobook awards where it's like yeah. really niche and it happens in <laughs> Reno. <laughs> right, I'm sure that's a thing. And it's not if it's not a thing, dear Grammys, dear Sin- Gr- sincerely, Matt and Jason. Right, like give we think, Jim Dale. Yeah. Yeah, give Jim Dale an audiobook much later on. 
So anyways, th- those are stories that we love. And the, the hard part is that when you are really engaged in a story or an audiobook, it has the opposite effect where it doesn't help you to fall asleep. And we just finished the seventh book again. And ah. I'm, I'm not going to say anything just in case there are some people on this earth who have not yet read Harry Potter Including or seen me. the movies. I have not read or seen. I have no connection with the Harry Potter series whatsoever. I could not pick J.K. Rowling out in a lineup, or, or, or Harry Potter for that matter. Well, I have no idea well, <laughs> who these people are or what they look like. I had to get over my stunned silence, mm-hmm, and you yeah. and I will have many chats about this, but I'm, as your friend, I'm offended, and, oh, and I no. want better for you. I, I just think that everybody would benefit from reading these stories. They, they are so good, and they get better every time you read them. But I, I jumped in when you said J.K. Rowling because have you heard about the the drama over stuff she said i i have yeah so there's a i don't know if it's a funny thing or what to say but now this beloved tale you sort of have to separate the work from the author and so some people are saying you just say like the the harry potter has no author or the book has no author so it's like wow didn't we isn't it nice that we got this amazing work of literature and it just came up from the ground for us yeah i i sort of think it's a good idea to always do that Mm -hmm. because the lives of artists are, we don't know the lives that artists live, right? Like J.K. Rowling chooses to make, to air her views publicly, but, and, and maybe, maybe that's what the uproar is, right? Like Tig Notaro, mm. by the way, does this great joke. Do you know who Tig Notaro is? Oh, I love Tig Notaro. Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. She did this great joke called Little Titties. So, so, uh, so she, she historically has had, she's had small, a, a small breasted woman, right? But she had a double mastectomy. So she actually had mm-hmm. to have her breasts removed, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But before that, she did this joke where she was like, I was walking down the streets of LA and this guy walked past me and said, oh, those are some little titties. I thought she was a man. And her response, her like her to, to the audience in, in, in this bit, she's saying, it's okay if you think that. And it's okay if you say it to yourself. <laughs> you know, but but like there's some things you don't but have don't to share say with the world, me. right? So sure. and, and so 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 we're you know, people are upset with JK Rowling right now because she chose to air her views publicly and these views are views that people find that some people find objectionable right so you know whereas that's the difference between like bias and discrimination like having a bias or belief you can't you know there's no way to monitor that there's no way to know necessarily right but active discrimination is like actually taking action on it yeah that that's interesting yeah right right like i mean our thoughts are our thoughts our feelings are our feelings right we can we can choose to challenge our thoughts and challenge our feelings but we can't help having them right so it's like but and that's the thing is that we all have these dumb thoughts or evil thoughts. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, I've walked by course. so many people and be like, that guy has a punchable face. I don't know him. I don't know anything about him, but he's got a punchable face and, and I might have to do it. I've and had that thought. You know a lot about me, in fact, because I know, <laughs> I know you've wanted but to punch done. me. Okay. Uh, no, but, but, there I wouldn't, are, but I wouldn't do it. Right. But there are, uh, there are artists who I know have led, you know, objectionable lives, hmm. but whose work I still enjoy. Yeah, there are some, there, I will admit there are some mediums that I find that harder to do mm-hmm. than others. Like an author from a book is much easier for me to separate than mm-hmm. like a stand-up comedian who's telling jokes. Right, I think right, the best right. example is Louis C.K., mm-hmm. whose jokes, I, I mean, I still sometimes think of his stories and his jokes, and I used to quote, quote them regularly. That became much harder, and in some ways they became a lot less funny to me when I knew mm-hmm. that when he was making like, like jerk-off jokes in a mm-hmm. hotel that I was like, oh, now it's not 
Yeah. Funny. There needed to be some distance between you and that joke, and there's not. So right. th- those are ones that I find much harder to separate the work from the artist. Yeah, I see that because comedians are very much in the business of often putting their own lives on stage. Right. So right. it's hard to make that separation, whereas a song might be easier to separate. Uh, a work of fiction might be easier to separate the, you know, the, the, the artist from the, the body of work. I think it was Nick Cave of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. I think it was Nick Cave. I, I hope I'm not saying this wrong, but I think he was the musician who said, look, I can still listen to artists whose personal lives I find objectionable because my feeling is once they put that piece of work out there, it doesn't belong to them anymore. It belongs mm. to us. It's mm. now my song. It's my album. It's my, it's my art to consume. It's not sure. theirs. So that's an, that's a, you know, that's a nice way of thinking about it. If you're, if you're struggling with, uh, <laughs> sure. Like we've got something in mind that we think our podcast is about, but somebody else could listen to this and think that it's a metaphor for like existentialism or something you know it doesn't belong to us that's not how you think of it that's that's well. Matt, that's that's what i thought this was about <laughs> the existentialist hour with you with go to Matt. some weird places when you trip on existentialism then <laughs> um what else is new uh we've got a heat wave coming to los angeles so i'm getting ready for that do you do you like plan to do something. I mean, in ordinary times, it would be like, go to the beach, go to a public pool, whatever. Like when you know a heat wave is coming, what, what, what do you do about that? Yeah, I, I, I do. Because unlike back east where hot just means hot, right? Here, here in you know, the West Coast in coastal California where humidity is low, if it's going to be 95 in Los Angeles on Saturday, which it's going to be, it's going to be mm-hmm. only 80 at the beach. In yeah. fact, it will be a perfect beach day. Yeah. So absolutely, that's what I'll be doing. I'll absolutely yeah. be at the beach on Saturday because that's going to be the place of respite. Now, I'm sure everyone else will be there. But, you know, if, if, you, if you're smart, it's pretty easy to get elbow room. The beaches here are long and wide. So, you know, you know even though the beaches will be crowded, I think you can, if I go alone, I, can, I have a large blanket. I can get my social distancing. That's not, yeah. that's not so hard. I mean, it really is the blessing of California, but certainly of Southern California. Jason and I are obviously biased towards <laughs> the West Coast in many ways and certainly towards California because we both live here. But like... That was exactly my thought, and that that's such a luxury to be able to have or to be close to the water in that way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, I have, I have, before we jump into things, I have a question for you. Yeah, hit me with it. What is your seventh favorite fruit? I asked, Ooh. yeah, I asked this question the other day to someone. We actually had the same answer, so I, I, I want to know what yours is. All right, well, I'll tell you that my first thought was like, for this, to, for you to have success with this, you have to be able to name seven fruits off the top of your head. Yes, and that's then, right. <laughs> and then prioritize them. I was trying to think. I was like, a seventh, like at the bottom of the fruits that I know and eat regularly. Well, but or here's is it in the, the middle. Thing. It's kind of in the middle. There's actually a ton of fruits. Yeah. Right. Like there's so many good ones. Yeah. Ugh, wait, kiwi. Oh, that's a see. That's a great fruit. Yeah, I like kiwis fine, but I don't eat them regularly. And to me, they're a little bit of a snack activity where you have to like work for it. You know what I mean? You got to yeah, yeah, you you scoop it out right, of it versus right. you pop blue, a handful of blueberries in your mouth. It's a snack activity, which I don't always want. So there's, <laughs> there's kiwis, there's a barrier to entry, but they have, yeah, I would say those are my number seven. What's your, what are yours? I said apple. Okay, because here's the thing. I enjoy a good apple. And apple's one of those fruits that, yeah, it's sort of like, it's a great snack. It's easy to eat. I mean, there's, it's, it's such a versatile fruit, but my favorite fruit is probably the peach. I would for sure put passion fruit and mangoes ahead of apple. And then I also am a big berry consumer. So when you throw in raspberries, blackberries, strawberries, blueberries, Uh suddenly apple ends up around number, like around seventh place. 
Yeah. And so I'm, yeah, I'm saying Apple, but that's still and, a high ranking because that leaves out so much. Remember, <laughs> tomatoes are fruit, right? Avocados are fruit technically, right? <laughs> oh, how dare you? If you had said tomatoes or avocados as your number one favorite fruit, I would have said that we should start re-recording. Now, I have to say though, <laughs> your answer of uh-huh. all the answers you've given me, that was probably my 17th favorite answer that you've ever given me. You see? Yeah, this is how my brain thinks. Well, that's a great preview for an upcoming episode where we go back through each of our favorite answers about questions we've asked each other. <laughs> I'm just realizing that people turned off this podcast five minutes ago. Yeah, you're right. Let's <laughs> get to it, shall we? Let's get to it. Okay. okay, so we've said before that every episode explores a different destination or theme, and this week we're back to themes. So mm-hmm. today, Jason and I have been chomping at the bit all week to talk about day trips. So before we jump into it, Jason... For anybody who's listening, what is a day trip and why should our listeners care? Yeah, okay. So I, I want to say, so I'm actually glad you said, why should they care? Let's address that first, right? We are a travel podcast that's operating in the middle of a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it, Americans aren't flying internationally right now for the most part. Even domestically, we're not really flying unless it's for an emergency or you have to go see family or, you know, you have some job where it's mandatory and essential worker. Really what we're relegated to right now is road trips. But you Mm. and I want our podcast to be actionable, right? We want people to listen to our podcast and say, I'm going to go do that, Mm -hmm. right? So last week we did New York City, a city we love, the greatest city in the world. But if you're living in California right now, you're probably not going to New York anytime soon. So you listen to the podcast going, okay, this is great. I'm going to bookmark this for another time, right? Same thing with episode seven, which was the the episode before that, which was Memphis, a great city that you and I surprised ourselves by saying we both really liked, Okay, but what I love about this decision to do best day trips, and you and I have strategically picked our own different set of day trips from different cities all across the country. So, so obviously, we're not covering the entirety of the country. Not everybody who hears this will be able to like jump in their car and take one of these trips. But we've got a pretty wide swath of America covered. So, Mm -hmm. what I like about this episode is that when we're done, when people are done listening to it, some people, some people will bookmark it for another time. Others will be like, yeah, let's get in the car and go do that this weekend. Yeah. Let's escape yeah, yeah. LA's heat wave by driving out to the desert. No, I don't know. But I, I don't <laughs> know. Go to somewhere hotter. You, you're, gonna be in, yeah, you're in charge of Los Angeles, so we'll see what you say. But, uh, but that's what's great about it. Okay, now what's a day trip? I mean, quite simply, it's a trip that you can take in a day. So I, I think, you know, my itineraries have a, I think there's one itinerary where I sort of sneak in, like, if you stay overnight, do this. But mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's not really, so it could be an overnight, but really a day trip is just that. It's a day trip. So it should be something that, that... there and back, yeah. Yeah, so it probably, you probably don't want to spend more than two, two and a half hours in the car, you know, maybe three at most if you're leaving early in the morning. Yeah. You want to be able to get to your destination, enjoy it. Now there are there are road trips that are all about just being in the car the whole time, right? Like maybe it's a maybe it's a, a, a iconic road that you're driving. That's fine. But really you want to make sure that you know, you can get to your destination within like a reasonable amount of time, have a chunk of time to have boots on the ground and exploring it and then come back and then hopefully yeah. enjoy some stops along the way, which is how I've oriented my uh, recommendations for this, uh, nice. for this episode. Yeah. And you said it well, but that's what separates a day trip from a road trip. Road trip is different destination every night. You're moving forward. Mm-hmm. Day trip is designed so that you can start the day in your bed and finish the day in your bed. That's right. Yep. Yep. I would say that's, yeah. uh, that's good thinking. You, yeah, you yeah. did. So, I, I gave listeners the long-winded version you gave the like 10 second elevator I gave pitch. The, you win the, the spark notes i gave the spark notes version yeah that's my <laughs> second favorite sparks notes version you've ever given the very rare spark notes joke you don't hear a lot of those no you don't <laughs> 
So Jason, would you do us the honor? We're going to we're going to go through a few day trips each. Would you do us the honor of kicking us off? Yeah, I will kick us off. So, I have yeah, I have 3 day trips in mind. All right, my first one is from my native Chicago. So I think that people often think of the Midwest as maybe being a, a, a region of the country that's geographically challenged, that maybe doesn't have a ton of exciting things within reach, but those people would be way off. All right. So my day trip has you starting off uh, on the north side of Chicago, and you're going to grab a little brekkie at Cellar Door Provisions in Logan Square. This is in Chicago. Uh, this is in the city of Chicago. So you okay. you know you've got to get some fuel for the journey, right? You you gas up your car. Now you need to give yourself some fuel, right? So you stop at Cellador Provisions. It's an adorable little bakery and cafe. They're famous for their quiches. So get yourself a little quiche. Get a coffee. You know, if it's a non-COVID time, actually spend some time there because the inside is adorable. If it's COVID times, like if you want to take this trip this weekend, just grab and go. Okay. Mm. Your first step, okay, so your first stop, rather. So there is a final destination on this road trip, but I've got some, I've got some like fun stops along the way. So you're actually going to be heading south. You're going to be going south along Lake Michigan, all right? Mm. You're, and you're going you're gonna, to um, leave the state of Illinois on my road trip. But your first stop is going to be on the far, far south side of Chicago to Pullman National Monument. Ooh. Okay, Pullman National Monument. Do you know what Pullman is, Matt? I'm going to say no. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is was, it, it is, is, it, a uh, it is, no. well, it is a neighborhood on the far South side of Chicago. It, it was a neighborhood that was built. It, I would argue it wasn't even part of the city of Chicago when it was originally built by the railroad magnet, George Pullman mm. in the 1800s. Mm. Okay. So he was this famous entrepreneur and you know millionaire and person who who made his you know made his built built his empire around around the the emerging railroad industry yeah, right the like, average the average white guy of the 1890s <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly right okay so he he built this community because he had all these workers and he was like how about all my workers live on site and they live in homes and structures and buildings that that I built so they pay me rent so my workers are making money off me, but they're giving it back to me in the form of rent. And then I will have a, I will have a church, I will have a grocery store, I'll have local, all those will be owned by me so that as they buy goods and services, that comes back into my pocket. That okay? is some effed up I, capitalist I it's, it's, BS. Yeah, it is like, it's so, yeah, it's so, he's, he's an, I, I was struggling to find the words for him. He's like a 19th century industrialist, right? Yeah. Like robber yeah. baron. I don't even know what robber baron means, but he sounds like a <laughs> robber baron, doesn't he? Okay. Yeah. So anyway, oh you can visit God. it today. It's now, Obama designated it um, a national monument in, I want to say 2016. Uh, mm -hmm. It was, it was, I remember because I covered it. Uh, I was actually there. I got to see Obama when he declared a national monument. I was a, I was a little journalist monkey, and I got to go down to Pullman and actually like <laughs> hear him speak. It was amazing. Cool. So anyway, yeah, so it's a national monument. That's really cool. Okay, moving right along, you're now going to go into Gary, Indiana, okay? So uh, Gary, Indiana, there is just one place that can light my face, and that is Gary, Indiana. Do you know where that lyric's from? No. It is from That's the music, song, the song Gary, Indiana from the Music Man. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, of course. So Gary, Indiana, important steel town, right? But then it ends up on hard times. The steel manufacturing, you know, the industry changes. The, you know, it's now like the epitome of a rust belt city, right? So, you know, 60% of the population has long left. A third of the buildings in town, an estimated third of the buildings in town are derelict. But mm. there's two reasons to stop in Gary. So one is they have a, a historically rich downtown, 
a lot of the buildings are really beautiful because this was built for a th- at the time a thriving city, right? Mm. And it's you're just outside Chicago now. You could almost call Gary's Chicagoland area because it's it's only 30 minutes from downtown, right? But you're in Indiana. It's on the it's on Lake Michigan. But uh, there's two things to see. Gary Union Station is this really big, beautiful Union Station that's one of those like icons of what you'd call ruin porn. Mm. So like people who like people who like enjoy looking at abandoned structures. I've been there. It's fascinating. You can wander throughout it. You're probably not supposed to, but it's like you can see. Did you say ruin porn? Ruin porn, yeah. I'd never heard I, that. I don't actually but mean I'm hor- that. I don't, I'm horrified. Oh, okay. Well, I don't mean that. To, <laughs> I thought yeah, you no, meant no. that was like, okay. No, I, I am someone who is into ruin porn, but I, but I yeah. mean, it just means like. You're just like, like traveling to abandoned places. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And That's all. It's photographing <laughs> it, right? Putting it on Instagram. Yeah. See how many likes you. So yeah, anyway, yeah, Gary, yeah. Uh, Gary Union Station is beautiful. If you if you have an opportunity, of course, it's it's falling apart now and weeds are growing through it, but it's, it's fascinating to see. And then of course, Gary is the home of Michael Jackson, mm. right? And, and of course the Jackson, all the Jackson brothers. And so it's a beautiful little charming bungalow. I mean, people live in it now. It's a private residence. It's, it's fenced off, but you can still go see it. I mm. think I want to say I've driven by it. I don't, it's many years ago. I want to say there's a little monument to Jackson in the yard, but you can go, you can pose a selfie. So if you're Michael Jackson, talk about, mm. co- see, it's all coming back to talk about comp- people with complicated artists with complicated legacies, Personal right? lives. Yes. He is yes, the epitome yes. of that. But anyway, the Michael Jackson home is there. Okay. Now I want you to go another 45 minutes to your destination, which is Indiana Dunes National Park. Ooh. So yeah, the state of Indiana has a national park and it is a doozy. It is so beautiful. This is not... This is, it does not have the grandeur of Yosemite where you're looking at Half Dome and El Capitan and little deer running around and cascading waterfalls. But the dunes are just really beautiful. When you drive Route 12, you can tell that this was a, a resort area many, many years ago, but it fell mm-hmm. into decline. So Route 12 is really kind of sad and there's a lot of old bombed out buildings. But when you get to the dunes themselves, they're just really beautiful, really lovely. And it's one of our newest national parks. So it wasn't designated a national park until 2019. So oh, wow. if you yeah, if you are a national park enthusiast, but you haven't been there yet because you know it was it was only designated in February of 2019, which means most people probably haven't experienced it yet as a national park. So yeah. that is really cool. Now on the way back to Chicago, I mean this is a cinch day trip. However, I would recommend spending some time at the dunes. I mean, not only are the dunes beautiful in and of themselves, but it's just a great beach day. It's a great it's a great beach day in summer and it's a great walk along the beach with your like you know like swaddled in a turtleneck like in like you know, like in like <laughs> April or maybe October and on your way back to Chicago I want you to stop in the south side at the original Rainbow Cone Okay, mm. so the original Rainbow Cone, it's just an old time, you know, ice creamery, but they're famous for you can get every flavor on a single cone and the different flavors are chocolate, strawberry, Palmer House, pistachio and orange sherbet. Now, Palmer House, I don't, I've been there. I don't remember what that flavor tastes like, but Palmer House is named for the Palmer House Hotel, which is supposedly the lo- the oldest continuously operating hotel in North America. It's also wow. where my sister got married, but it's one of those big, <laughs> like downtown grand old hotels. So they have a flavor named Palmer House and you can get every single flavor piled high, like on a scoop of ice cream cone. So it's like a big, fun, colossal mess to eat. But it's a, it's a, it's a local legend. So stop at Original Rainbow Cone on the south side of your way back. And that's my day. Yeah, Palmer House ice creams. I don't know what flavor that would be, but it sounds like it would be like gravel ice cream with chunks of brick in it. Mm, a sa- Industrial flavors. Yum. <laughs> okay, so that is my first day trip, and I think great it's- first one. So I am up with a one that's 
like quick and straightforward. There are going to be no surprises here. It's easy to do, totally achievable. Okay. Uh, so we're starting in San Francisco. Um, Wait, the city by the bay? The city by the bay. My Bag- current home, yes. Baghdad by the bay. <laughs> SF. SF. The so city. To me, to me, one of the best parts of Northern California in general is like the availability of escapes. San Francisco has the second highest population density only to New York City, and it's packed into 50 square miles. So it's one of those cities that even though I love it here, it is really important that you also are like taking breaks from it yeah. quite often. And Northern California is full of places to do that. So like to the South, you have cities on the central coast, like Pacifica, Monterey, Santa Cruz. Yeah. To the East, you're a four hour drive from Yosemite or as our uh, president says, Yosemite. Oh, um, oh, and oh, to oh, the oh. North, we have what to me are the real stars. And it's the dozens of national forest parks that sit in like what I would call truer Northern California, but just mm. above San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So you have the Redwoods National Park, Mendocino, Shasta Trinity. It's like, to me, like true Northern California. People say that San Francisco is Northern California, but on a map, it's like right in the middle of California. There's nothing, <laughs> yeah. there's almost nothing Northern about it. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so this is like actually true Northern California or on your way up to it. Um, and and I have picked one that's actually much closer and much more easily accessible, which is the Muir Woods National Monument. Oh, I've been to Muir Woods. Yeah, it is really oh. beautiful. Yeah, go so for it's it. So a, it's only a 30-minute drive north outside of the city. And so I recommend actually taking the long scenic route to get there, where you're not going to stop and do a whole lot, but you are going to see a lot. So go ahead. Yeah, do you mean Highway 1? Pacific yes. Coast Highway? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So driving along the water. Well, and so, this is great too, Matt, because I think a lot of people... When they do Highway 1, they do it from L.A. to San Francisco. Yep. They don't think to continue north, but it keeps going. Yeah, yeah it goes a long way. And we're not going to touch very much of it today, but it does go. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is, you're right, a much less explored part than Southern California. Um, so I would say start by like putting in your maps, put in Muir Beach into your maps. And that's M-U-I-R. Mm-hmm. And you just, it takes you west along the, clo- the coast till you get to the one. So you can drive along the coast and see it. And to me, it's like... There, there's a viewpoint where you get to see what really is just like the geography of the California coast. It's rocky, it's jagged, and it stretches out in sort of these zigzags. And so it's like looking at California on a map and all of its ridges. You just get to sort of like see that with the naked eye, which is really incredible. So it's it does that, and then you look just left to your to the west, and you see the ocean, which stretches out blue as far as you can see. Um, and so you take that, and then you go a little bit further north to Stinson Beach, which is about ten minutes more north. And again, you're mostly going for the drive. Stinson Beach is really cool. It's a long peninsula that jets out into the ocean. And there are all these homes that probably rich people have um, that sit out on this long curved beach. And you're mostly going to look. You can park out, park in, and take a little stroll and just get out and get away from the ocean air. Um, and Stinson Beach also has some incredible hikes too. Like uh, I love Stinson. Th- th- yeah. Stinson's yeah. great. Fun fact, on my Please. first visit to Stinson Beach, it was the day I dyed my hair, which I used to have, platinum blonde. <laughs> and then I met up with my friend Zach, who's amazing, and we walked along Stinson Beach, and I had platinum blonde hair. Okay, keep going. Wow, were you like, were, did, were you like, I'm in a music video? That's like, yeah, I know, I was 22. <laughs> you at the were time, probably feeling yourself hardcore, bursting I, with hair. <laughs> it was a different time. Uh, but but I, Stinson Beach, these are all beautiful recommendations. Yeah. I mean, the, the 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 California coastline as a whole is outstanding. But like, when you start to go north from San Francisco, and and quickly. Pop, you know, especially on like weekdays, like you can you can get to these beaches and just see very little people at times. Now, of course, on sure. weekend on warm weekends, it can be quite crowded, but like it can be it can be really like all yeah. yours if you if you get it just right. And you're gonna pass through all these like sleepy coastal beach towns mm. that that very fewer many fewer people get to see. Yeah, um, and they're cool places to just like stop at the local cafe, grab a coffee, whatever. So once you've had your fill, you've you've 
junk in the view of Stinson Beach and, and Muir Beach. You're going to turn east away from the ocean and in your maps put in the Muir Woods Visitor Center. It's going to be another 25 or 30 minute drive, but it's going to take you through the, web, the redwoods of this forest where we'll be spending the day. So it's going to take you to the beginning of the hike. And this is one of those drives where I would say it's a real joy to be in the passenger seat. Normally, mm. I prefer actually to be driving. I like to be in control, especially on twisty turving things. Um, but this is one where it's a real joy to be in the passenger seat because you just, once you enter the woods, you just crane your neck and you look up at the trees, which are like 250 feet tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so you just, you kind of sort of like watching them whiz by as you're looking up. It's really otherworldly. Yeah. 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 Um, and so you get to the visitor center and, and the cool thing is that in total, there are like six miles of um, this hike. And I would say like, as far as like aggressive hikes go, that's very reasonable. And you certainly don't have to do the whole thing, but if you wanted to feel the accomplishment of finishing a whole, like six miles is achievable, um, you know, middle, middle events, but there are parts that are completely forested. Other parts where you climb the hill and it peaks out and you see an incredible coastal view. Um, and then you just start looking out over like the hills below you that are covered with trees. So you get like a diversity of, of beautiful parts of this hike in this, this woods. Um, it's a popular myth that uh, Endor in the Star Wars movies with the Ewoks live was filmed here in Muir Woods. That's a popular myth. Is very similar to where it was actually filmed, which is a little bit further north mm -hmm. in Redwood National Park. Yeah, okay. But Muir Woods looks just like it, and it's a lot more um, accessible. Yes, and, it looks yeah. just like it. Like it looks just like if it. If you go five, six hours north of San Francisco, you will be in the middle of Redwood Heaven. But the great thing is, you don't have to go that far. If yeah. you are to your point, like that's the whole point of this trip is that you can be in San Francisco, and if you just want to get out of town for the day, you can yeah. go see amazing redwood trees. Yeah, it really is. It really is cool that it's so close. Mm -hmm. So I love that there are six miles and it's I like that it's like mostly asphalted or boardwalk. There are huge sections that are. So I think it's a relatively easy hike rather than, you know, needing trail shoes and whatever. Um, and to me, there's just something like you said earlier. It's so ethereal about a space like this. It's just like a kind of quiet that you don't really find elsewhere, especially in a busy city like San Francisco. But it's just totally quiet, except for the wildlife or you know the occasional stream that you walk by. It really is magical. Um, and so my my advice is basically just hiking 101. I would say carve out time to be there and enjoy it. But this is really like a half day trip, not even a full yeah. day. It's certainly accessible in a half day. Now, um, does your trip yeah. include Bodega Bay? It does not include Bodega Bay. But but do you want to tell people briefly about it? Well, well, I. I, Bodega Bay, you know how fancy restaurants will have these pre-fee menus and then you can do like a $15 foie gras add-on, right? Uh -huh. you, you've, seen, you've seen that kind of thing, right? It's like, it's like yeah. the pre-fee menu is $89, but you can do this thir you know, $13 add-on or whatever. Bodega Bay could be an add-on to this trip, right? So Bodega Bay is, <laughs> is on Highway 1, right? It's on the coast. It's about 60 minutes north of San Francisco, about, about an hour north. And it's just this charming little village, but it's also where key scenes from The Birds were filmed. Mm, so you mm -hmm. can go visit, you can see the little schoolhouse and the little church and all that stuff. So it's kind of, it's kind of a novelty for if you're a Hitchcock fan uh, yeah. to drive by yeah, those we things. Did, we yeah. talked about quaint California towns and I think Bodega Bay would be mm. a great one to start it, with. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So that actually is my recommendation is go on this amazing hike. There are, the only downside is the crowds on the weekends, especially mm. on the weekends. It, it'll be really crowded. Sometimes during the week you get school trips or whatever. But yeah. Muirwoods, like I said before, is low hanging fruit. It is no secret for... Northern California folks, but it's an easy to grab recommendation that I absolutely think is, is worth doing. Okay. So now for my next one, we are going deep into the heart of Texas. All right. Ooh. We are going to Beto O'Rourke country. And by the way, I don't think he's busy. El Paso? He could, he, El Paso. He could probably join you for this trip. 
Right. Well, What's, since his presidential run didn't work out, I did hear that he's he's yeah. uh, the tour guide at the El Paso Grand. <laughs> he is free. No, we like we like we like Beto. But yeah, my trip starts in El Paso, Texas, but it is not a Texas day trip. Hmm. It is actually a day trip into New Mexico, which, by the way, El Paso, if you don't know, is a city in West Texas, and it is right on the New Mexico border. It hmm. also, by the way, is on the Mexico border. So if you are if you are driving, I forget the major freeway that runs right through El Paso, but you can look to your left, right? If you're driving east, you look on one side, you're like, there's downtown El Paso. And you look to the other side and you're like, that doesn't look like the United States exactly. And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's Mexico, right? So, uh, <laughs> it's so no, it's cool. It's, it's a city right on the border. But you're also a stone's throw from New Mexico. So here's how my trip works. You get up in the morning and you go to this great little place called Salt and Honey Bakery Cafe. Right. Mm, I, that's one of those you know, places you can tell it's going to be good based on just the name. It is. Yeah. It's got a hipster name. Right. It's something <laughs> plus something else. Right. You know, uh, so it's a great little place. I, I don't think El Paso is bursting with cute neighborhoods and cute little eateries. I've only been there a couple times. You know, you, you might feel yourself a little underwhelmed by parts mm-hmm. of El Paso, but Salt and Honey is just really adorable and lovely. And I recommend that. Now I want you to get on Highway 54 and take it to White Sands National Park. So another Ooh, yes. theme, another theme of our conversation is new national parks. So White Sands yeah. National Monument was it was very recently uh, turned into White Sands National Park. I went and it is a stunner. So it mm. is it is gypsum sand that gives these sand dunes the appearance of being like snow white. And in mm. fact, I visited in January, and as I was driving into the National Park, I'm looking and seeing the sand on the road and thinking, I actually think this is snow. I mean, New Mexico is mountainous. And I was like, <laughs> I was like it is January. This isn't so unusual. I mean, we have snow in the mountains here in LA until mm. April. And so I was like, is this snow? Is this sand? I was like, it was just sand. And yeah. when I was there, it was maybe... 50 degrees out, but the sun was so intense, which it typically is in the desert, and, and it's being reflected in these pure white sand dunes that like, I, I was down to a tank top. I was like, holy cow, I am boiling. Mm. But anyway, White Sands National Park is beautiful. It is an Instagrammer's paradise. Yeah. It's fun. Just, <laughs> yes. It's a fun place just to hang out, just to walk the dunes. But the big attraction is to go to the visitor center, which might not be open right now because of COVID, so you might have to bring mm. your own, but rent a sled. And just spend the day sledding. Yeah. <laughs> so you is, are trying to convince people that it is snow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Right? I mean, no, but but you know that's a thing, right? Sledding down major sand, like big sand dunes, is a thing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a super fun thing to do. Now that could be the trip. You could literally just spend the day there, turn around, and come back. If you've got a little extra gumption in you, or if you do want to like maybe consider spending a night somewhere, I want to steer you to Truth or Consequences. So you take Highway mm. 70 out of the park to I-25, and then it's right up I-25 past Las Cruces. But Truth or Consequences, a quirky, fun little town named for the game show. Right, truth or Wait, consequences. This is, a, this is a town named Truth or Consequences. This is Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. New Mexico. And in the fifties, the game show said, "We will come to your town if you rename it Truth or Consequences." And this little town, in New Mexico, said, "We'll do it." <gasps> so they renamed their town Truth or Consequences, and most locals now just call it T and C, or sorry, T uh-huh. or C, Truth or Consequences, yeah, T or C. But 
what's great about it is it's right on the um, Rio Grande and it's famous as a hot springs town. Like Geronimo, Ooh. true story, used to like soak in the hot springs in Truth or Consequence at TRC, New Mexico. <laughs> so go there. You can check into Blackstone Hot Springs, which is a hot springs that you can rent by the hour or it's also a hotel. And mm. each, it's not really a hotel, it's like a motel style. But yeah, each yeah, yeah. room is themed after a vintage TV show. So you can stay in like the Wonder Woman room, the Star Trek room. I, of course, rented the Golden Girls suite. Nice. Right, because I am a Blanche. No, I don't even know. No, I, no, I'm not a, <laughs> uh, I know who the Golden Girls are, but I don't Listeners, know Listeners, tune in. Yeah, yeah. Chime uh, in. So it's super fun. But what I did do was I booked an hour at Riverbend Hot Springs. So it is these hot springs that are built right onto the river. So you book your own private one. Or you could book it with like a friend or maybe your significant other, right? You go in there and it's, it's completely secluded. So you have three walls, right? You enter the door. There's a wall on both sides. But then the fourth wall is gone because it's just a view of the, it's right on the river. So mm, and, then, cool. and there's a hot spring built into your little room and you've got two little lounge chairs. And so you just like, you can, you know, it could be, you can wear your swimsuit, you can wear nothing, whatever. You just jump in these hot springs. There's a shower in the middle. So you can just like, but you can not shower, but like, you know, if, if the hot springs are warm, so you can like yeah. pull the chain and just cool off really, really nice. So you can do that book by an hour. It's super lovely. And it's like $25. Oh, how nice. If you happen to spend the night, have dinner at Los Arcos Steak and Lobster. It's this like old timey steakhouse that you'd expect to find in a big city, but it's in this little small town of like a few thousand people. But <laughs> the town in general is just like, it's, you know, it's full of like artists and hippies and it's like kind of kooky and it's just, it's a lovely town. If you can swing yeah. all this on a day trip, go for it. But if you'd hit up TRC, you might even, you'll probably end up spending the night. Now sure. on your way back to El Paso, when you get back to El Paso, after this long day of, of sledding at White Sands National Monument, White Sands National Park, excuse me, and enjoying the scenery, maybe hitting up TRC, have dinner at Kiki's. Okay, mm. it's this old school Tex-Mex roadhouse. And when I say roadhouse, I mean like you walk in and it's like country music playing. You know, it's all like wood paneling. It's like beat up and bruised. The menus are all like kind of like broken and just kind of whatever. But it is some delicious. Tex-Mex food. I mean, it is good. <laughs> Their famous dish is called machacha, which is beef, onions, tomato, eggs, uh, chili, and chili smothered in chili con queso and served with beans and rice. And I remember thinking like, that just seems like any Mexican dish you try. But I was like, I'll have it. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. eat beef, but I was like, I'll get it. I got it with chicken instead. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Oh. Like so <laughs> yummy. And it's one of those places where a meal is like $10. You know, you get a of Mexican Coke with yeah. it or a beer or whatever. So great. So that is my second day trip. Yeah, there are some times when like Tex-Mex is the only thing that will hit the spot. And when it does, I mean, yeah. you're done. Yeah. You're done for. You got to get home. You got to get home and get to bed right after. <laughs> and it's a day where you've like you don't care about calories or your waistline or your workout. Or anything yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is I love that food. so far you are two for two on having <laughs> like having to leave the state that I start in. Like <laughs> yeah, almost none true. of your recommendations are in the state that we yeah, started. I'm like, in. <laughs> get the f out of whatever place you're in. It's just close in. to the thing where I really want you to go. That's really uh, funny. okay. I want to hear Great your number rec. two. Yeah, my number two. We're headed. We're staying in California, mm -hmm. um, but we're gonna head back south or down south to Los Angeles. So that's our starting point. And I'm taking you to Santa Barbara County, but we're going to Solving and the surrounding areas of Solving, oh, California. Oh, this is so good. I, I, I love I'm Solving. Guessing, like, I know Solving. I'm guessing many of our listeners <laughs> do not. So this yeah. is great. Well, I will be thrilled to hear then if you've been to some of the places that I'm going to recommend. So Solving is like a two-hour drive northwest of downtown LA, mm -hmm. probably a little bit more, two, two hours and change. 
Um, and in much of it takes the famous California 101, which hugs the coastline through Ventura and up through Santa Barbara. And you will really get the best taste of why so many people move to Southern California in spite of exorbitant pricing and heavy traffic and, and crushed dreams, why people <laughs> move to the Southern California coast. Um, uh, Santa Barbara, which actually, side note, did you see that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, Markle the Duchess of Sussex? Uh, just bought a $15 million home in Montecito, like in Santa Barbara area. Doesn't surprise me in the least. That's where Oprah <laughs> lives. That's where Ellen lives. In, yeah. fact, in fact, Ellen was once asked, like, now that you live there, do you hang out with Oprah? She's like, no, but I, I do ding dong ditch. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm sure that Oprah is somebody who has many ho- homes. Yeah, but I think yeah. this one is the one where she famously, um, like it was not on the market for sale, but she went and knocked on their door and said, I like your home. May I give you Oprah money for it? And they said, <laughs> oh yes. I think it's like $90 million or something oh something gosh. wild. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a sign that you've made it when you've got Oprah money. Oh, my gosh. So anyways, um, uh, Solving is another 30-ish miles north from that Santa Barbara area. And when you pull into the downtown, it's like walking into a storybook. And for good reason. It's called the Danish capital of America. Danish is in Denmark. And much of the architecture is like plucked from an old-timey Danish photograph. Like, close your eyes and picture the houses or shops in Snow White or Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, like, it's very Hans Christian Andersen. Very much so, and we'll talk (laughs) about him in a little bit, but it's plucked from his stories. So nothing is more than two stories high. There are are Dutch, uh, excuse me, Danish clock towers and windmills, the (laughs) white buildings with brown trim and thatched roofs. Like, this is their downtown. Danish flags flying from every other building. Um, And and it's not shabby by any means, but it's remarkable to me that it is within, like, an hour's drive of, of one of the most luxurious and expensive expensive areas in California, which is that Santa Barbara Montecito area. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's within an hour's drive of it. And it feels like a whole other planet. Um, And so I'm going to invite you to start your leave early in the morning and actually start your day when you get to solving with breakfast because you're going to eat able skeevers. Have you ever had an able skeever before? You're speaking Greek to me right now. (gasps) Well, I'm speaking uh, Danish to you, actually. Um, uh, Able skeevers, I'm like amazed that you haven't had them because to me, they're such a staple. Um, They are like... They're like spherical Danish pancakes, so they're, they're kind of like a big donut hole. Um, and there are there are many places in the city where you can go for. I think some of the staples are called Solving Restaurant or Abel Skiver Cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both a few doors down from each other, and you just go and they have a, they have like classic diner American or excuse me classic diner breakfasts. But really, you go and you pay like you, you pay four bucks to get three big Abel Skivers. Um, they're topped with brown sugar, raspberry jam, so you eat them like they're pancakes, but they're so good and fluffy. They sound- Awesome. Yeah, they're great. And this place also, it's, you know, a uh, solving restaurant is known for selling these. So they also sell like pans that you can make your own recipe books, etc. Um, when I went there one time, I ended up doing like an eating competition with a friend where we we went to see how many able skeevers we could eat. It was a terrible decision. Like, you know, when you, if you have ever eaten more than like two or three pancakes, your stomach is about to burst. <laughs> I think, I think we got to like 18 Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was a bad decision. So if you are going to get them, get a normal amount. Start with yeah. three, and then if you're hungry, you get more. And then after that, that's your, your full of breakfast. Go and like just walk in window shop in the downtown area. It really is is uh, like um, walking in another world or like I said in a storybook. And because it is a Danish town, they do, like you said, celebrate the life and works of Hans Christian Andersen, mm-hmm. who is a, a fellow Dane. Um, and they have rec- replicas of statues of him, but also of the Little Mermaid. And these are rep- <laughs> yeah. replicas of the actual statues or different statues that are in Copenhagen um, of those two those two characters. And it's really cool just to to go and see the you know based on his story. Um, 
Have you ever read like the Hans Christian Andersen tales that a lot of the Disney stories are based on? I don't think I have unless I read them or they were read to me when I was like a really, really little kid. Yeah, it's like him and then the Grimm's fairy tales are what they're yeah, based on, but yeah, they're very right, different right. and yeah, m- much yeah. more gruesome. So a little yeah, more. Oh, I'm I won't, sure. I won't yeah. tell the story, but go look into it. It's a great yeah, one. Isn't she a murderer in the original tale? She, I don't remember that. No, part, I'm, but just, I'm just like, kidding. I'm totally <laughs> kidding. Right. You know what? Who knows? Um, I do know it, this is a Grimm's fairy tale, but Snow White, you know, like Snow White ends happy ending yeah. in the actual tale. They invite the evil queen to the wedding, which is sounds nice. But when she arrives, they put her feet in these like hot iron shoes and make her dance until she dies. <laughs> Isn't that, that brutal? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. That's so funny. Wow. So don't show that version to your kids. So um, so Ariel's not a murderer. The Snow White is. Like Snow, literally. Snow White and her husband. Yeah, they, yeah. they didn't like the evil queen that much. <laughs> okay, so after you've had your fill and you've walked around the town, we're going to leave this immediate area and go to the Quicksilver Miniature Horse Ranch. If Never you are into if you are into cute animals, this place is a dream. So they do do like horse breeding, but the real stars are the mini horses and they're called Shetland ponies yeah, that roam yeah. the fields. It's free to visit, which is awesome. If you do have a big group of like 20 more people, you can pay, you know, a couple bucks a person to have them give you a tour and and set some stuff up. But other than that, it's free to go. And they don't have like petting pens or feeding spaces, but the mini horses are super friendly. So they just come up to the gates and they want attention from you. So even though it's not like formal structure, you get up close and personal with these mini horses. So the average size of of a regular horse is like six feet tall standing on standing up. Mini horses are like half of that. It's like the size of a it's like the size of a, a larger Great Bernard. That's mm-hmm. how big these horses are. And yeah, so yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm right. like really hyping cute animals right now. And so it's cool <laughs> that you can just go spend some time there um and, and get your fill. It's another great Instagram place if you want to show off cute animals on yours if that's your your aesthetic. Yeah, um, I would one hundred percent do that. <laughs> no, yeah. seriously. Yeah. So another place very similar is called Ostrichland. It's like a love it's like a, Ostrich, Ostrich Land. Ostrich Land. Oh, good. Yeah, Ostrich Land USA is what it's called. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yes yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a specialty zoo for ostriches and emus. There's yeah. like a hundred of them. Yeah. Five bucks to enter. You pay an extra buck and get some feed. But it's it's to get up close and personal with ostriches and emus, which are huge and fast. Yeah. Um, but they also do like egg painting and then. Also, you can buy fresh and edible ostrich and emu eggs, which are obviously much larger. Yeah. And so if you've got an extra like 60 bucks on hand, yeah. want to make yourself one good scrambled egg, grab an ostrich egg. Ostrich land <laughs> is a hoot. Yeah. It so is this, a hoot. this could be the whole day. It'd be mm-hmm. about another two hour drive home. So that would be an absolutely full day. Yeah. If you want to have a very full day and drive home after dark, I'm going to invite you to drive almost an hour north to, it's called uh, Sea Venture Restaurant, which is in Pismo Beach or just south of Pismo Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Sea Venture is in the downtown Pismo Beach area, another amazing beach town. Mm-hmm. But Sea yeah. Venture Restaurant is attached to the Sea Venture Hotel. And it's going to be like a schmancy seafood restaurant but it overlooks the beach in the ocean you go for good oysters and martinis and some good seafood you're going to see a lot of like older people in khakis um, and it is a bit pricier maybe 30 or 40 bucks an entree but it's seven minutes from our final destination and so that's if you want a nicer option if you want a, a more down-to-earth option check out old Juan's cantina which is like walking distance from where i'm about to take you but that's definitely a budget-friendly restaurant and i would call it like a white people mexican restaurant do you know what I mean? Like baskets of chips. Yeah, they do yeah. Serve, they serve a double poblano, but they also have like jalapeno cheeseburgers. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you go to get a bunch of cheesy Mexican food and $10 margaritas, um, you know, a second grade option for you if you want something easier. And our final destination is within walking distance of that. And it's a theater called the Great American Melodrama in Vaudeville. 
Mm. So it's just south of Pismo Beach, and it's awesome. It's this small little theater, and they do sort of like spoof musicals, comedies, but really they're famous for their classic melodramas. Oh. Um, so they, they do two shows a night that's separated by an intermission. Like tie the damsel in distress to the train tracks. That, yes. like, that's what I think, yes. I think of like yes. melodrama. Yes, yes, yes. Oh that's exactly right. <laughs> so I don't know why, but they say it's ages like four to 104. <laughs> yeah. And so you're exactly spot on with that description. So shows that they've done in the past are called like Drac in the Saddle, which is a Dracula themed <laughs> spaghetti Western. Papa Pia instead of Mamma Mia. Trudy and the Beast, playback oh on Disney my movies. Gosh. Matt Scary Kiever, Poppins. Where do you find these things? <laughs> we went and we saw a production of like a Davy Crockett melodrama, which was hilarious. It was nice. so good. Nice. So the, the best part about it is that it's like really participative. So there's a lot of cheering for the hero and booing for the villain, and you're eating your you know snacks and drinking while you're watching it. So it's a blast, and it's not expensive at all. They obviously are closed right now because of of COVID, but when it does open up, please go back and yeah. support. Amazing actors, amazing show. Yeah. And so that will be a long day you're gonna it's gonna take you about three hours to get home um and so just you know plan that appropriately but one of you will have to stay up and be forced to drive but that would be a long full day on the california coast yeah or or it's two different day trips or it's an overnight like there's lots of ways you could do that you could you know make that trip happen yeah and yeah. I, I just realized i said california coast but it is inland so a, a great trip that's easily accessible from la yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. In fact, in fact, I was in Pismo Beach last weekend, uh, cave kayaking. Oh, true story. Nice. Yeah, true story. So it can be done uh, uh, as as a as a short getaway. Okay, so we're gonna stay on the coast, but we're gonna go to the complete opposite coast. We're gonna go over to the east coast. Actually, we're gonna go to the Gulf Coast. Mm. Uh, for my last one, I am taking you to Tampa St. Pete. Ooh. All right. Tampa, Part of Florida, I have never been. Tampa, St. Pete happened to be two cities I love very much. I had a very good friend who used to live there. And so I would end up spending time in Tampa, St. Pete on my way to the lower Gulf Coast to see my parents. But that's another story for another time. All right. Mm. So we are going to start off our day in Tampa, St. Pete. If it happens to be a Saturday morning, I want you to go to the St. Petersburg Saturday morning market. So here's mm. why I want you to do it. <clears throat> Not only is this a, 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 you know, a farmer's market where you can go and you can have breakfast, you can get coffee and you can walk around the stalls and you can do all that stuff, but you will discover that St. Petersburg, Florida is a really historic city with like a beautiful, gridded, perfectly laid out downtown, hmm. right? Whereas Tampa is really like chaotic and frenetic and there's more like nightclubs there and young people. St. Petersburg is like its regal counterpart. And it's really kind of a lovely, understated, underappreciated place. It's also home to the, um, uh, to the Dolly Museum, which mm. is amazing. And it's home to uh, a collection of Chihuly uh, glass sculptures, which is also really beautiful. So St. Peter, it's also got kind of a food hall scene, which is kind of cool. So mm. St. Peter's got some stuff going for it, but that's for our Tampa St. Pete episode. We'll save that for mm. down the road. Okay, so you're gonna go, you're gonna go down to St. Pete Beach, right? Which is not part of St. Petersburg. I mean, it is, but it's like its own separate, uh, you sure. know, area. And you're gonna drive down to this spindly little tiny peninsula called Grill. And it's got a real, it's a really charming little walkable old Florida little kind of area. And you're going to go have breakfast at the seahorse. Okay. Mm. The seahorse is not special at all. You're going there <laughs> because it is just a delightful piece of old Florida. You know, sure. it opens at 7 a.m. It's a little diner. You know, all the all the servers are women. They're probably going to call you honey. Uh, if, if you walk in there and you're under 50, you are going to feel like a baby. <laughs> right? Like it's just, you know, it's an older clientele, but you're also partly going because Paso Grill is just so adorable. Now from here, 
you could actually, if you if you want to make again a long day of it, you could go to Fort DeSoto Park, which is really really lovely. I mean, Fort DeSoto Park is a great place to like play in the water or take a little hike or have a picnic. If not, if you want to head right to our destination, then just start heading north. Just go up the Gulf Coast, and our big destination of the day is Crystal Rivers. Have you ever heard of Crystal Rivers? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a it's a small town about. An hour's drive north of um, Tampa St. Pete. So again, Tampa St. Pete are, are quite large. So depending on where you are, right, further from uh, St. Pete, because St. Petersburg is a little south of Tampa. But if you're going from St. Petersburg, probably an hour and change up to Crystal Rivers. But Crystal Rivers is the only place in the United States where it's legal to swim with manatees. And I uh. have done this. So manatees, <laughs> manatees, which are, which are uh, affectionately named sea cows. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> They're just these like big, you know, roly-poly kind of floating mammals with like, they're giant. They've got these little fins. They're, they're Yeah, if you huge. catch one for a ride, you're not going anywhere fast. Yeah, they're really <laughs> adorable. And it is carefully monitored by, you know, Florida's like fishing, you know, fishing game, wildlife, wildlife commission. Fishing, yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and so you can't touch them. You can only get within certain feet of them. But you go out on these boats and you just jump in with your snorkeling gear or not. You just kind of go underwater and you can see them. And in, in they, they, they're there year round, but there's certain times of the year where they like, you know, this is like where they hang out. And so if you mm. go in the right time of year, you can see, I mean, you can see a ton of them. I mean, mm. and it's really fun. I mean, we saw a mama, a mama with her little calf and, you know, like sometimes they'll swim right underneath you and you're like, oh my gosh, this thing is huge. It just came close. And they're gentle giants, but you get <laughs> sure. that close one. You're like, ah, this is crazy. So <laughs> Crystal was, and you know, you go out there for a half an hour, an hour. It's not a long day. I mean, you could, you know, you could, it's probably a trip that I think they, they, they might run them all afternoon. We did it in the morning, right? So we had mm. breakfast in town and then went up there and, you know, did it from 10 to 11 or whatever. They made our way back. Now on the way back, there's a couple places that I want you to stop. I want you to stop in Tarpon Springs. Mm. which is where they make sponges. Like all of them? <laughs> yes. I mean, this is like, it is. It's like the sponge, it's like the sponge capital of America. As you, walk, as you walk the streets and docks of this town, you will see sponges hanging out to dry everywhere. Oh my God. It's also little grease. <laughs> so it was this town. Settled... Were sponges invented in Greece? Probably. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Right. I mean, they could be, right? Like, well, I mean, I don't know if they're invented in Greece, but like you can imagine that that's something that Mediterranean fishermen did, right? Was like, sure, sure, and so, sure. And so, you know, when Greek immigrants came to the United States, settled in a part of the U.S. that reminded them of home, the Gulf Coast of Florida, and kept up that trade. But yeah, so there's like Greek restaurants abound. And so it's got this like, it's this funny little Florida town with this Greek culture to it and with, uh, with sponges. It's got like, uh, you know, you can buy... You know, sponges is, you know, things yeah, to take I'm home with you or somebody, some boy who's like a seventh generation sponge maker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also Florida, so it's a little corny too, right? Like, it's, sure. you know, but it's great. Okay. While you're there, I want you to have lunch at uh, Rusty Bellies. Oh, great Rusty name. Be- oh, it's so great. And this is like, this is better than the seahorse for breakfast. This is old Florida at its finest. It's right on the water. You know, it's like hot and humid. So they've got big fans blowing at you the whole time. You can get like, you know... Fresh caught seafood, like, you know, you know, Gulf shrimp and that you just like shuck and peel and eat at the table. You can get oysters or whatever. It's just a fun old Florida place to eat. Yeah. It's inexpensive. I just adore it. And then on the way back into town, I want you to stop at Dunedin. Dunedin. Mm, I, <laughs> Dunedin. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's spelled like Is Dune. it a dessert place? No, it's spelled like it's a town. It's spelled uh, like Dune Din, right? Like Dune, D-U-N-E. Dunedin. And like Din, oh, D-I-N. got it. But it's pronounced Dunedin. 
And it's just this, I mean, you're probably only, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes from downtown. You know, you're you're not that far away from uh, sure. from your home base of Tampa or St. Pete. But it's just this fun, quirky little town. It's very liberal. It's got this great little, like, you know, walkable, arty, cute downtown with outdoor restaurants and cafes and a very mm. welcoming community. And you're like, yeah. This is why this is why people like like this is the respectable face of like this is cool you yeah. know it's it's a I mean honestly it's a real charmer and oh, that's and cool. this is this is an easy day trip like you can do this in a day so that's my that's my last one yeah you know in yeah. like sci-fi movies where they have glasses or like a it's called a HUD HUD heads up display and yeah. it tells them like their their life stats or information about whatever they're looking at you know what I'm talking oh, about oh totally totally yeah you are you are that for all of our listeners for when they travel to the lesser known places of the United States <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna look at I'm gonna look out of my eye and there's gonna be a Jason in my ear telling me about this old bakery that's run by a, a, an old nana whose name is you know whatever <laughs> good I hope so I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said like I love that I'll Take it's it. the 21st nicest thing I've ever said to you. <laughs> Comedy callback. All right. <laughs> nice. Okay, so what is your final place? Okay, yeah, I've got one more. And we're mm. headed, I'm leaving California. We've done enough of that. I'm headed to New York City, which we talked about last time. Yeah. Um, but you're going to head just outside of the city. And I love, the, again, this is another one that's so accessible. It's not too far away. But you're going to head to Sleepy Hollow and the Blue Hill at Stone Barns. Okay, so I know no me, knowledge of this. <laughs> I just made up a bunch of words. So this to me is like the timing is just right because this to me is the perfect fall activity. So you could do it now, but really save this one for around Halloween time. Mm -hmm. I and my wife and and most of our friends are Halloween nuts. We I love Halloween in the fall season. I look forward to it every year. And it to me, this is like a great and spooky way to celebrate. Um, And I'm also living vicariously because Halloween obviously isn't going to happen in the same way that it normally does to me. I know we we had a big uh, Disneyland trip planned. We were going to go do the Oogie Boogie Bash, which is like this this big affair at Disneyland, and of course that's being canceled. Yeah. So I'm like heartbroken. And anyways, and Disneyland in Halloween is magical. That's the oh, time of year I so always go good. there. It is like, magical. Yeah. Story for another time, but it is. I think it's. I think it's the best time of year to be in the theme parks. In fact, yeah. maybe I shouldn't say that. It's the worst time of year. Don't go that time of year. <laughs> go in summer. But it is. They have enough oh. people. You're not going to trick anybody into going at any time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're uh, right. It really is special, and so yeah. that's you know heart one. So I'm I'm living vicariously as I dream again of this trip. Um, but you're going to head north about 40 minutes north of Manhattan to your first stop is Lindhurst Castle. So it's in Terrytown and it's called the Lindhurst Castle or the Lindhurst Mansion. Terrytown, New York. We're still in New York. We are still in New York. We We don't leave leave New York. Okay. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Um, And it's a 67 acre estate and castle that's right along the Hudson River. It's this old Gothic revival style castle. Um, The story of like whose it was isn't really all that important to me. Now though, it's like it's like visiting the famous Hearst Castle in San Simeon, California, which is like this old, incredible estate that you can now walk through. It's a very similar mm-hmm. thing. So they have many different tours that you can buy into, a classic tour where they show off like 15 or 20 rooms of this grand estate that still have tall ceilings and fine art. It's still decorated, like really lavishly set tables. Um, they have another tour that's of the greenhouse and the rose garden, which is really beautiful. But tours about an hour each. And so I think you can have breakfast at home, head out and then shoot for like a 10 or 11 a.m. tour. Um, you know, a, a tour plus some time in the shops and whatever is going to put you at an hour and a half, I guess. You could, maybe two in the, on the long run. Um, and then from there, you're going to head for like a lunch-ish at the Blue Hill Cafe at Stone Barns. So it's another 15-minute drive north. 
And I know of Blue Hill because of the Blue Hill Restaurant Group, of course, which is in yeah. the city. Yeah, and in lovely. Greenwich Village. And yes. lovely, yeah. I mean, it's one of New York City's amazing restaurants. They have so many, and this one definitely stands out. So the Blue Hill Restaurant Group, which is famous, they they have a, a staple that's located in Greenwich Village in New York City. Um, this is sort of like a, a sister of it, but it's a basically a farm and food education center. It's really beautiful. So they have these wide green fields, but in the fall and winter, the fields are like covered with fog and the leaves are all the trees are all dead so you're driving down this long stretch looking to your right at like fog covered fields it's really incredible and creepy um and so you drive down that long road and you arrive at this wide gray and brown stone building that again sort of looks like it was plucked from a storybook and there are two related restaurants there one is called the blue hill at stone barn Mm -hmm. and this one is a reservations only dinner table uh, dinner farm to table restaurant and it received two michelin stars last year in 2019 I've not gotten to eat there, but it looks incredible. It's like a fixed price. You you know mm. pay for the works, but it's it, you're gonna have an incredible meal. But with COVID, they're actually doing curated outdoor picnics where you still pay a full price, <laughs> yeah. but it's done in like a Michelin star way. So that looks uh, like an incredible experience. I'm sure, it's incredible. Yeah, Blue Hill so, is is the best. They do it right. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so instead of doing that, which is again dinner only, go to the Blue Hill Cafe, which is a farm to table cafe that's on the same grounds. So it's less of a sit down restaurant and more of a place to like grab coffee, a tartine, a chocolate croissant before you walk the grounds of the farm um and if you want to see like where the food of new york front to table restaurants come this is a go this is a place to go do it they do some food education as well but it's really just an amazing way to get out of town that you know probably is is less than an hour's drive from midtown manhattan yeah um so nice, once yeah. you've once you've had another coffee and a couple snacks you're going to head to the real star of this trip which is to Terrytown, new york but really to the sleepy hollow cemetery okay so it's, you know, you're going to be about 45 minutes north of Manhattan, so still within. And this is a Halloween lover's dream. Are you familiar with the legend of Sleepy Hollow? Uh, ish, with the Headless Horseman, right? Yes, well done. So it's yeah. written by Washington Irving. Ichabod Crane? Good job. Yes, yeah, those yeah. are the two stars. Ichabod Crane and the story of the Headless Horseman. So this is sort of a mixing of, of fact and fiction. But Sleepy Hollow now is renowned for like ghosts and a haunting atmosphere that pervades from the imaginations, really, of its inhabitants and its visitors. Some residents say that this town was bewitched during the early days of the Dutch settlement, while some claim that it basically is like a, a mysterious atmosphere that was caused by an old Native American chief. So there are some myths and legends surrounding why this place feels the way it does. But the mm-hmm. most infamous specter in the hollow is who you said, the Headless Horseman. He was supposedly the ghost of a Hessian trooper whose head had been shot off by a cannonball in some random battle. Um, and now he rides back and forth on the scene of the battle every night in a quest to find his head. Like that's the legend of, of the Headless Horseman. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an older 90s Johnny Depp movie. And, and also there's, there's some Disney connection, isn't there? Yeah, there, there's an animated version of, yeah. of Ichabod yeah. Crane. It yeah. isn't quite as as uh, bloody and creepy, <laughs> but it's still dark and twisted. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to, the real star of this is a cemetery though. It's 170 years old and it's 90 acres. So it's massive. And it's the cemetery on the grounds that inspired like that legend of the story of Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. They do do daytime tours. So if you are there during the day, you can, or you can walk through on your own. So it's cool to just see an old, old graveyard with old, cool headstones. Um, and the real star, though, if you are there this late and you time it right when the sun goes down, they do evening tours by Lantern where they show off some of the, the infamous graves of the, of the residents there. And it's done by Lantern Light. So they're really putting on the shtick of it. It's so creepy. It's, it's a good time, though, if you're a Halloween lover. I kind of feel like even if this means you have to overnight in a nearby town or in that t- you, I, if I'm doing. doing this, I'm doing the nighttime tour. 
for sure. And if you go uh, and fall yeah. or winter, the days are so much shorter that oh, that actually doesn't have to be true. too late. Yeah. You yeah. can do it by like 5, 6 p.m. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah like yeah. October, November. Yeah. Yeah. And really, though, even outside of the cemetery, the whole area does yeah. it up for Halloween. They yeah. do this like, it's called the Great Jack-O-Lantern Blaze, which is they just cover this huge field with lit jack-o'-lanterns and there's a big windmill that's covered in them. So the whole area is, again, a Halloween lover's dream. Yeah. When you've done that, you've had your fill, drive home drink the wine that you bought at Blue Hill from their cafe or whatever, and that's your day. You know, Matt, I would not be surprised if even during COVID times, you can do a lot of what you're suggesting. Absolutely. Right? You, you said yourself the Blue, Blue Hill is still open right now. I'll bet Sleepy Hollow is a delight to drive through in October. I yep. wouldn't be surprised if they're still... May, they might. I mean, I did a kayaking tour last week in Pismo Beach. I wonder, I bet they could still do these graveyard tours. Like if, sure. if people are, I mean, it's possible. It's, so people should it, look into that. Yeah, it's an outdoor space. And then it's also, we still got some time before Halloween and maybe things will recover. So yeah. there's still hope that they could do their Halloween shtick. Yeah, and, yeah. and New York has now well-managed, uh, you know, COVID. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Knock on wood. S- so those are, we didn't cover by any means, any stretch of the imagination, all the day trips, the great uh, day trips that are on America's Coast. So next yeah. time we do this, we'll pick new cities, pick yeah, new day trips. Yeah. But those are six that we recommend. Oh, and they're all good ones. I mean, I assure you my three are good. And I can almost, I, I've been to, I've, I've in some form even touched on some of your, you know, the, your two, two of your three. So they're, they're so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And vice versa. I, I hadn't done any of the things that you had mentioned. I've been to Chicago. Does that count? <laughs> As a day yeah. trip, no. As a day trip, yeah. So I'm going to move us into what happened here, which is the storytelling part of our podcast, where one of us tells the other person a story about our destination or theme that that person doesn't know. And Jason, you are up this week. Yeah, we are. Now, we are back in California for this one, but it's not that your starting point is neither Los Angeles or San Francisco, although you probably could make Los Angeles your starting point for this. But this is the this is a this is storytelling. This is history. And this is your perfect day trip from Palm Springs. Ooh. All right. So Palm Springs, famous desert Mecca. Uh, we now have, of course, it's famous for um, being within the same area that Coachella happens annually, although not this year, and of stage course. Coach, yeah. Yeah. It's Stagecoach Festival. Right. So Palm Springs, great mid-century desert Mecca, playground for the rich and famous, place to just go, melt away, lay by the pool. Now, this is not a day trip to Joshua Tree National Park. Okay. This is not a day trip to Pioneer Town, the little wild west town that was built for the movie industry and then mm. went into disrepair and has now been like turned into a little like place where like artists go and hang out. Uh, this is not a trip to the world's largest freestanding boulder, which is in uh, which is near the town of Yucca and stands seven stories high and is amazing. <laughs> this is not a trip to Sky's the Limit in Twenty Nine Palms, which is this beautiful outdoor observatory that hosts free nighttime. Uh, parties where you can go and you can see like there's Jupiter and there's Mars and there's Venus. It's really beautiful. This is not a trip to Big Morongo Canyon Preserve, which is wetlands in the desert, like this marshy desert oasis Whoa. where you can go hiking. Okay. This is not the Integratron. Okay. The, 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 <laughs> the acoustically sound cupola that was built by a UFOologist and is now a place that hosts sound baths for like yoga types and hipsters. Okay. <laughs> this is a trip to the Salton Sea. Now, Matt, <laughs> uh, have you heard of the Salton Sea, yes or no? I've not, but I think I need a minute to recover from how you just squeezed and snuck in a dozen extra recommendations. <laughs> I know you love how I did that there, or do you hate how I did that there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the that's Salton like, Sea, I've not heard of it, no. Yeah, so this is bananas. It is the largest lake in California. The largest Whoa. lake in California, and you are a California native, and you I have not are one. Been or even heard of it? You are one of, I promise, millions of Californians who have never heard of this place. But I'm going to tell you about it now. 
Yeah. So it is from Palm Springs. To, now, the sea is quite large. Like I said, it's the largest lake in California. So from Palm Springs to the tip of it, you're talking about probably 50 minutes to an hour. So an easy day trip to get out to the sea. Mm, if you mm-hmm. want a road trip all around it, it's a full day. If you want to tackle it in pieces, you can do that too. If you were to visit the Salton Sea from San Diego or Los Angeles, about two and a half hours to get out there. From Phoenix, about four. So you can kind of picture where it's at, right? Okay. It's the largest lake in California and it is man-made. It was accidentally man-made, okay? For tens of thousands of years, it was a dry base, it was a basin or dry bed called the Salton Sink, okay? And in 1905, they were trying to irrigate the Imperial Valley, right? Like turn that desert area into farmland, make it farmable. So they tried to divert water from the Colorado River, but they ended up, they like, the dikes broke and they ended up accidentally flooding the Salton Sink. And it took them several years to plug it up. Okay, and while this flooding is happening, it's flooding right into this ancient basin, right? And so it takes them several years. And by the point, by the time they got it plugged up, it is now the largest lake in the state of California. Whoa! A man-made accident in the middle of the hottest desert, you know. In, I'm picturing it, you know. like it was one guy's job, and he fell asleep when he was supposed to pull the lever that that directed it to the right place, but he fell asleep, and instead it filled and created. <laughs> yeah, totally right. Right. Like, like how uh, did that happen? How did that happen? And yeah, who I, lost their jobs? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. How many heads rolled? Right. Be, because of that. Uh, you know. I. Right. Who, whoever was like the George Pullman of like you know. You know, whoever's like California's famous, like 19th century industrialist. Was Started like, hey, knocking off yeah, heads, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, some, some quick fun facts about the Salton Sea. It is saltier than the Pacific Ocean. Mm. Okay, so it has very high sailing levels. It is larger than Lake Tahoe. Obviously, it's the largest lake in California. And it boasts 130 miles of shoreline. Whoa, it's That's huge. how, it's massive, okay? So that's 1905. By mid-century, it becomes a little bit of a tourist Mecca, like a tourist paradise, right? Mm. So like, you know, you ever see those like old timey World War II propaganda film where the guy's like, our dough boys are in Germany. They're fighting off the Nazis. They're <laughs> fighting <laughs> off the Germans. They, we hope to bring them, right? Like you yeah. can picture him being like, come to the Salton Sea. It's a mid-century paradise. Go fishing. Bring the missus. Bring your kids. Yeah. Build the luxury of your dream. You know, like you can have it all for $8,000 or whatever, like the cost of a home was back then, right? That's probably like insanely high. It was probably like $1,000. But yeah. So yeah. So in mid-century, uh, the Salton Sea boomed. On the eastern shore, you had little communities like Bombay Beach. Remember that name. Desert Beach and the North Shore. That's the name of a town. On the western shore, you had Salton City, Desert Shores, and Salton Sea Beach. Okay? Salton City was kind of like the hub town. It was on the western shore, so probably like you know, one of the closer towns to get to if you're coming from Los Angeles or San Diego. It's famous for having uh, this beautiful marina and a yacht club, and people go sailing and water skiing. They have an annual regatta. Like, it's mm. an event. They built, a, they built off the main highway, they built a two-lane road studded with palm trees in the, what do you call it, the divider in the middle. People, you know, you drive down that street, and it's like, it's like opulent and nice, mm. and people go jet skiing and boating. Uh, and the, uh, the, the little towns thrive, and the sea thrives for a short time. Mm. And then things start to go wrong agricultural runoff from the farmers of the Imperial Valley lead to increasing salinity into the water, okay? That increasing salinity starts to kill off a lot of the fish species that have been introduced and that that are thriving, but now they're starting to die off in large numbers, okay? It's also not being fed by water, right? It's in the middle of the desert. So there's no real water filling it. So it's starting to dry up. And Mm. as it dries up, the... uh, 
the the ground is filled with pollutants, okay? And so these pollutants mm. can get in the air and when it when the wind blows, it can blow dust and so like, you know, it can get into people's lungs and so forth, right? So it sort of becomes uh like a, a net like an ecological disaster, okay? And then mm. add to it economic downturns and people start to leave these little towns along the Salton Sea, okay? Things go from bad to worse. People flee in droves. They turn these towns into near ghost towns. The sea becomes toxic. Oh, so it's because the, the mud contains arsenic and selenium. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, since it rarely rains and it's extremely hot, the sea is starting to evaporate. The desert winds are blowing toxic elements in nearby communities, like the areas like Coachella. It's just not good. And in fact... It also starts to emit a noxious odor due to the high amounts of hydrogen sulfide. So even to this day, there will sometimes be warnings that like the area is going to smell like rotten eggs, like Palm Springs will get warnings. Like when the wind is blowing, like the winds from the Salton Sea are going to bring like the smell of like rotten eggs from hydrogen sulfide into the community. Yeah. So the sea becomes this like wasteland of like these near abandoned towns. The whole area reeks. There's dead fish everywhere. It's just like, it's, this is like, it's this like apocalypse, right? This apocalyptic wasteland. Okay. So cut to 2000. I'm living in San Diego and there's a new tool on the internet called MapQuest. And (laughs) and as as a, as a would be budding young traveler, I'm obsessed with it. So I'm toiling around on MapQuest and I'm like the Salton Sea, what is that? What, why is there this giant body of water right in the middle of the desert? And I start researching it, and I find a lot of the information I've just sh- shared, right? I'm like, mm. I need to go to this thing, but I don't go. I'm living in San Diego. I moved back to Chicago. I don't go. Okay. In 2004, there's a documentary called Plagues and Pleasures on the Salton Sea, this little indie documentary about the Salton Sea, and it's narrated by cult filmmaker John Waters, mm. who describes it in the film as where paradise and the apocalypse meet to do a dirty tango. <laughs> Okay, cut to 2011, and I finally, on a trip back to California, decide to drive the entirety of the Salton Sea as a day trip from Palm Springs. Mm. So my first stop from Palm Springs is Bombay Beach, okay? I arrive in Bombay Beach, and the town is like a ghost town. I don't see a soul. It's nothing but like trailer homes and shacks, and you drive up to the embankment right where the sea is. You park your car, you kind of walk up. And when I get up there, I walk down to the sea. It smells filthy. And the water just, <laughs> the water, the sea looks beautiful, but the water near the shoreline does not look pretty. Yeah. And underneath my feet, I can just feel a crunching sound, a crunch, crunch, crunch. And I look down and it's the skeletons of thousands of fish that have just dried, <clears throat> have washed up. And then under the punishing hunt, because I'm there in summer, under the punishing 110 degree heat, they just turn to skeletons and then just turn to dust. I mean, the town is just decrepit, but and the smell is horrifying. I mean, it's just awful. There's abandoned homes everywhere, and they look like they've been abandoned in the middle of the night. Like you can still see pieces of furniture in these homes. The walls are starting to like fall off. The the doors are gone. People have written graffiti like "Evil spirits live here." Don't go. You know, it's a creepy place. Yeah, but it's fascinating. There's one business in town that I can see called the Ski Inn. It's a little bar. It's the only business that seems to be thriving or, 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 you know, in existence at this time. And I don't see a soul in town except for one lone fisherman who's standing at the, at the sea, you know, casting his, uh, casting his fishing pole in. Okay. <laughs> the next stop as I'm heading south along the Eastern bank is the town of Nyland. Have you heard of this town? 
No. Okay, just outside. Now, Nyland's nothing. Nyland's like maybe got a thousand people living in it. So, hey, a boom town for the Salton Sea. For the, but again, it's like it's sad. It's falling apart. It's run down. But about five miles outside of town is Salvation Mountain. Mm, yes, heard yes, yes, yes. Okay, I do know so that. Salvation Mountain was famously profiled in the film Into the Wild. Yes. Right? The, the, the main character is there, and he encounters this man called Leonard Knight. Leonard Knight is an evangelical born-again Christian who moves out to the desert, finds this, you know, little hill, and he starts, over the course of decades, starts painting it. And there's, he's built walkways through it in little caves, and, you know, there's all kinds of junk, like tires and broken pipes and bottles, stuff that he's outfitted into this cave. But it's called Salvation Mountain, and he's written all these biblical verses, like Jesus saves in large letters. And, and he's there, and he just works on it for years and years and years. Um, and it becomes this important work of folk art. So his mm. name is Leonard Knight. He's since passed away. But uh, I know when I arrived there in summer, it was empty. I did not see him. The place was fascinating, but I was the only one there. Mm. Um, but he says of this place, the freedom of this place, he says of Salvation, so, so, excuse me, he says of Salvation Mountain, the freedom of this place is so beautiful, I wouldn't move for $10 million. Mm. That's what he says in the film. Senator Barbara Boxer, a former uh, California senator, said, it's a unique and visionary sculpture, a national treasure, profoundly mm. strange and beautifully accessible and worthy of the international acclaim it receives. Mm. Really beautiful and a really cool piece of folk art that I recommend people visit if they can. Yeah, absolutely. Next to it, is Slab City. Have you heard of Slab City? <laughs> no, what is that? So Slab City is 640 acres of public land, which means people can be on that land without being reprimanded or admonished. So in Whoa. winter, it is the largest squatter community in the United States. Fourth, <gasps> It has an estimated 4,000 residents in the winter months. Whoa. And then an estimated 150 live there year-round. Now, I was there in summer, so it was quite empty. You see, you sit, you see like little bits and pieces of art lying around and sculptures, and there's like, you know, like a shoe tree. But when mm -hmm. I was there, it was very uh, desolate. But it, is, it was co-founded by Leonard Knight, okay, who's since, but it's populated largely by like folk artists, retirees, homeless people, people living on welfare. They come there, they live in trailers, tents, and RVs. There's no sewage system, no food, no water, no electricity. So people have to use solar panels and generators. There's only one shower in the whole area. Uh, there is a stage. So every Saturday night, they put on makeshift shows. Whoa. And there's, yeah, and there's art installations. Like there's an art, there's an inhabitable art installation called East Jesus, no religious con uh, connotation, um, uh -huh. which includes a sculpture garden. So it's this really fascinating place right wow. next. Yeah, right next to, um, it's like when you described in episode eight, New York City, the tunnel people. Mm -hmm. It's kind of yes, like yes, that. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Now, if you keep I just looked it up. Driving, this place looks yeah. wild. Yeah, it is wild. If you keep driving along the sea, you'll come to farmland, right? So as you drive south mm -hmm. along the sea, mm -hmm. it looks very like green and pastoral and, you know, very just like you're just driving through like, you could be driving like through the Central Valley of California or the, yeah. the Great Plains of the Midwest. But then as you come up the western shore, one city that you'll hit of note is Salton City. Now, this is the place that I was telling you that was... Uh, that had the regatta and the marina and the yacht club. And it was, you could see it's clearly planned for a large community, but mm. it has all these, it has this like extensive network of like streets and subdivisions where homes were never built. Mm. Like you can see they designed it as like a California like planned community. And then before they could build on it, everybody fled it. So it's yeah. fascinating how empty it is. Now there are little signs of life there. When I visited, 
there was a lone restaurant right next to the sea that had just opened up. Like they had just opened their doors. It was like these three women and they were like, come on in, darling. We're going to have some fun. And <laughs> I, I sat there and had lunch. And then this German couple came, which was really strange, right? This is like July in the Salton Sea. And these like two German retirees show up and sit next to me. And they're like, you know, you know, just like, yeah, Chatting, cra- crazy. Yeah. Okay. So that's then. So let's cut to the Salton Sea today and let's talk about your visit or you know anybody who wants to visit. So it continues to be an important stopping point for migratory waterfowl coming from the traveling from, you know, annually from the Arctic to South America. Okay? But it's also considered a California environmental disaster. The salt mm. is continuing to build up, the reduced water uh, supply is is uh, continues to be a problem because the sea is drying up. Um, the exposed lake bed again like I said, you know, as it dries up, all that like um uh, all those pollutants from the, you know, from the, from the mud, you know, carry into the air and cause, uh, you know, incidents of asthma are higher in the region. So it's causing all these problems. Now, when Sonny Bono was mayor of Palm Springs year, decades ago, he tried to save the sea. And in fact, he was not able to do it. But, uh, mm. you know, he was working hard in Congress to try to get like legislation and money uh, to save the sea. Uh, now on the south end of the sea, there's the Sunny Bono Salton Sea National Wildlife Refuge, which mm. is you know, which is uh, it's a marked area where the waterfowl come and you know they feed on their fish and whatever else is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing, right? And they have, by the way, they have since the state of California has since earmarked money to help sort of restore the Salton Sea. So you know, uh, uh, saving the sea is currently an in progress uh, endeavor. Sure. Uh, but here's the thing. The sea is crazy beautiful. Like mm. this is a crazy beautiful place to visit. I mean, it's it's practically life changing. Mm. Like a day out here is really lovely. So, if you're doing a day trip, here's what I recommend you do: from Palm Springs, go stop. The first thing you'll stop when you're following the highway, and you'll you know you'll go through Coachella, right? You go through all those desert communities, like all like the posh ones, uh, and you'll go through Coachella, and then boom, you'll be right at the tip of the lake. So start by going to the Salton Sea State Recreation Area. And this mm. has actually been modernized. There's really nice facilities there. You can go hang out at the beach. You can go, you know, get on, you know, you can rent a boat or whatever. You can bring your own boat, you know, spend a day there. There's picnic tables, all that kind of stuff, right? It's really nice. And then make sure you hit Bombay Beach. So mm. when I was there, I mean, I described it to you. It was like this post-apocalyptic wasteland. It was the town that epitomized the sadness of the Salton Sea. But in 2016, these artists came in and said, there's something here. And they formed the Bombay Beach Biennial Art Show. <laughs> and so, Matt, I, I last visited Bombay Beach in June of this year as a day trip from Palm Springs. It is a town transformed. Wow. So now when you go up to that embankment where I saw all the dead fish, it's nothing but like immersive art installations. Whoa. When you walk around the town, what was once empty lots are now these giant like two-story pieces of art, like crazy immersive Burning Man style, right? There's like, there's actually like facilities you can visit, um, like the Bombay Beach Opera House and the Hermitage Museum. There's sculptures and installations everywhere. I mean, it's just like, it's an Instagrammer's paradise. When LA Weekly... Witten and experienced the Bombay Beach uh, Biennial, they described it this way. Said the writer, my first stop at the fest was a Mad Hatter-esque tea party where cake pops made by a local family, joints and edibles were passed around while fairy women made bondage art in the branches. Along the beach was a lifeguard stand turned into a psychedelic space station. Colorful smoke bombs set off at sunset through large sea creature cutouts asked us to remember where we were, while the outdoor bar, tended by men in yellow bikini briefs, asked us to forget it. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So it basically is Burning Man, but you can go at any time. <laughs> exactly. And here's the thing, right? Well, yeah, if you experience it during the Biennial itself, which of course was canceled for 2020. Now, I think sure. Biennial applies every other year, but they've been doing it every year since 2016. Hmm. And Matt, I have to tell you, like, I almost feel like that, like I'm glad the town now has some life to it, some energy. It's a borderline attraction. You know, when I last visited, there were other people there. Like there was tons of like millennials and young people and hipsters going there and mm-hmm. photographing. And like, there's now like a swing set in the sea. And I was like, wow. And on one hand, I was so excited for the town, but I was also like, this is my little post-apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah, like, I you're discovered like last this, time I was the only person here. Yeah, <laughs> I discovered this ten years ago. What are you? What are you doing? Coming into my little, you know, it was sure. so. It was like it was like all these all these feelings. But I recommend you know from Palm Springs, you know, stop at um stop at the Salt Sea National Rec- you know State Recreation Area, hang out there if you want. Go to Bombay Beach, spend a few you know an hour there, and then just turn around and make your way back and stop at some fun restaurant back in town. But it's a it's a cinch day trip, and the Salton Sea is just it's really just a lovely place. So yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, that's my what that's a great story. story. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad to hear, like, to me, that story had a happy ending, which is here in the life that it now has. Because as you were talking, I was like, okay, so you, so it's, it stinks. There are dead fish everywhere. Yeah. And it's super dry and hot. Why would I ever want to go there? And well, now, <laughs> yeah. But also, again, if you're a fan of ruin porn, this is like, no, this is, it's really the mothership. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Which Good also wreck. makes, that that's part of the nostalgia about the fact that it started to like turn around a little bit is that you're like, oh, it's no longer, you know, but don't yeah, get me wrong. It's sure. a positive thing. Uh, <laughs> what okay. a great story. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. Okay, so let's close out with a game. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do the, the time old classic, Would You Rather? I'm going to ask you a question and we're both going to kind of ponder it and answer it. You're going to ask me one. We're both going to kind of ponder it and answer it. Also too, Would You Rather is like the name of that game, but we want we want to make it our own. We want to make this a game that's recurring. So we're going to ask you, our listeners, if you have a better name to give us that's more travel related, more, you know, maybe a fun play on words off of Wish You Were Here, the way we do it. If you've got any great ideas for us, send them. Okay, so Matt, what's your question? What's your would you <laughs> rather? Question. So would you rather do a day trip with a set in stone agenda where every minute is accounted for or mm-hmm. no agenda at all, only a destination in mind? Uh, okay, so here's the thing. I'm a type A traveler. Mm-hmm. So I don't travel without having a thousand things like on my plate, but yes. I plan a thousand things knowing that I'll only get to three of them and that's just fine. I'm not someone who like rushes everyone from point A to point B to point C. It's like, you see what you see and you get what you get. So I'm actually going to answer that by saying I have to have an overplanned agenda because if I don't, I know I'll miss gems. I know there'll be yeah. lots of great things off the highway that I don't see because I don't know. So no, I have to have a stocked itinerary. I think I picked the same answer. Like In choosing no agenda, the fantasy is that lightning strikes and just by keeping your eyes and ears open, you see a great place to stop and it becomes the best place. You talk to somebody who gives you a good wreck. Like that's the fantasy of what you want. But I think you in part have to set yourself up for success by doing what you do, which is actually playing a thousand things, knowing that you can have the freedom to break them if something good happens. Yeah. But I would rather have an overplanned agenda to make sure that I get to do all the good stuff, even Mm. if it means that there's no flexibility. Okay. All I can say is that answer like that, that we both agree on that that has set you and i up for success for some mad fun 2021 trips when all this is over <laughs> yes. for this podcast yeah like, we are going to travel well together well, it's funny because like <laughs> when i think about you know taking a seven-day vacation somewhere when i see like a full itinerary done i actually crumble i hate that because it feels like the trip is over before it starts but for something quick like a day trip i think i do want overstructure for the reasons that we talked about yeah 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 i i agree yeah Okay, Jason, what's your question? Um, okay, my question's a little spicier. Ooh. Now, Matt, 
a major political event happened this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Democrat, the presumptive Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, announced his VP candidate. And Kamala it is Harris. California Senator Kamala Harris. Yes. So my question for you is, and, and she will end up debating uh, by current Vice President Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. So my question for you is, would you rather... Now, we should, we should say that you and I will be voting for, the, for uh, Biden-Harris. Mm-hmm. We'll be voting enthusiastically <laughs> to remove uh, Donald Trump from office. So in case, in case <laughs> listeners are wondering where our political allegiances lie, the, the, it, it's important to set that up because that frames the basis of this question. My yeah. question to you, Matt, is would you rather... You know how politicians drive across America and they stop and they talk to voters, right, in non-COVID yeah. times? So imagine it's non-COVID times. Would you rather spend election season barnstorming America with Mike Pence, but so you have to be by his side. He's your road trip companion. You have to be next to him as he goes to Trump supporting crowds and does all that stuff. But at the end of it, you will receive two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that you can donate to the Biden campaign or or buy (laughs) buy, used to buy a home or give to whatever you want. Or would you rather have take a day trip with Kamala Harris? See, that's a trick question because I actually yes, think those are both good options. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that's, that's the whole point. She seems like a great road trip companion. I would love to, but I have to take the responsible choice as an adult and take what is basically a free $250,000 to do a, socio, a sociological study of Trump country and Mike Pence. I, w- I, I think I would be afraid for the first few because it's it's people and, and terrain that I'm not as familiar with. But yeah. what a fascinating look at a part of America that it, that I'm not from, you know, um, and that I don't know quite as well. Uh, I would I would absolutely choose that and then uh, and then wash my hands when I when it's over. Okay, I'm so glad you chose that because I am afraid I'm not as courageous as you are. I'm also <laughs> now now that since I'm older than you, I don't have as much time left on this planet, so I am not giving a month of my life over to spending time with that man. Sure. And also too, I am someone who travels throughout Trump country all the time as a travel writer. Sure. So I am used to being in spaces with, you know, with people who have different beliefs than I do. So I actually would take the day and spend it with Kamala Harris and just have like a fun adventure with her. Yeah, you know, she like, seems like a great yeah, road trip companion. Yeah, doesn't she? She would be fun. So I'm actually glad we chose different. And you gave <laughs> a, a great answer. And I think yeah. you would do probably wonders with that $250,000 too. I think there's a lot um, I could do with 250k cash. All right. Uh, and by any any means, by by all means, anyone listening to this, feel free to send us your answer as well to either question. We'd love to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's it for us. I think. Yeah. That's it. All right, we are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else you can find podcasts. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our handle is WYWHpodcast. Email us at WYWHpodcast at gmail.com and tell us where to go next. Uh, And please check out our website. We love it. It has all the recommendations from uh, every episode. You can download all the episodes, too. It's called WishYouWereHerePodcast.com. Remember, here is spelled H-E-A-R. That's it for us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.